The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Uh, Jimmy Johnson here with Austin McCormick, and our guest for this episode is Jake Stone, the pastor of New Testament Baptist Church in Biloxi, Mississippi. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. It's great to be with you guys again. We are just finishing up the Kerry Fuller Conference here, and we were blessed to have y'all visit with us and attend and encourage us. Well, we are very grateful to be with you, and it was a very good conference, so thank you for hosting that and the hard work that you put into making that conference happen. And uh, Jake, today we're excited to have you on the podcast, and the first question that we have for you is, will you share a little bit about your story and how God has used the study of church history to enrich your walk with Christ, better you as a pastor, and grow you as a theologian? I would say that I, you know, I grew up in a King James only context that was very uh, legalistic, very fundamentalist, and I would say that really church history was non-existent in many ways being taught in pulpits or classrooms. It was very much um, you knew what your grandfather might have said or your mother, but you know understanding how we fit into the body of Christ throughout 2,000 years. It was non-existent. And so I've always had a love for history. So, I mean, I would say that I was the definition of a history nerd. All right? I mean, second grade, I decided to learn the presidents, memorize that on my own. So I think that qualifies you to be a nerd. Um, And I take that badge and wear it. And so I've always had that interest with history, but it was, you know, never anything that was taught in the church. And as I was coming out of that fundamentalism and, and, and King James onlyism, one way that that happened was I started to see who are these men and women who have gone before me? Why does what happened in the 1600s matter? And, and I would say learning what real preaching is, the doctrines of grace, uh, confessionalism, covenant theology, all those things really came out of learning what church history, learning about who are people like Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon and and all of that really changed how I saw ministry, that it's not up to me to try to create something novel. I'm not looking to be new. Um, It's not about some personal pizzazz that I have. Um, We'd be in trouble if that were the case. But it's about what God has said and how he uses his people through the ordinary means of grace. So really, learning church history personally then changed, I would say, how I looked at things in the church. And we as a church at New Testament, a lot of our growth, I would say, was because we became aware of a heritage, of a theological heritage that's been passed on. You know, Jude talks about the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We're to contend for that. Um, I think it was Steve Lawson who one time put it this way that said, you know, there's been a baton that's been handed down, and it has the blood and sweat of of the martyrs and of those who have gone before us. So personally as a church, just becoming more and more aware of church history really changed me, just not theologically, but I would say ministerially, and then how I viewed pastoring and the church. I'm right there with you as 
a church history nerd or a history nerd in general, but not all people in the pew and, and not all pastors would qualify for that. But with that said, why should pastors and lay people alike care about and study church history? I'm reminded of a quote that I heard Timothy George used to say when he taught church history at Southern. He would say on the first day of class, it is my job to show you that there actually was something that happened between Jesus Christ and your grandmother, and it matters. We do not live in a vacuum. And um, C.S. Lewis, who used this statement, um, and I read it recently in The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, the, the, the heresy of modernity. And a lot of people think that the only thing that matters is me, what's happening in my life right now, and something that took place 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, that doesn't really matter. Now, I think across the board, that's a terrible mindset to have. But I'll grant it that I could understand somebody who's, you know, a secular, unbelieving person. As Christians, we're supposed to have a totally different view of history because we understand history is not just a bunch of random events that happened in different places and different times, but it's something that is orchestrated by the providential hand of God. Um, how my family ended up being in Mississippi, for example, there's a history there. Well, that history is not by accident. The reason I'm pastoring where I pastor is because of God's providence of moving a grandfather who was in the military down here to the coast in the 1960s, okay? So that's, someone said that's ancient history. It's not, but it's history. So everything that's happened before us and where we are today, there's a story to tell. And that's God telling a story and working in a way that brings us to where we are. So we need to know why we're here and who we are. We need to know our roots. We need to know our theological heritage, and the reason that helps us is because, for example, when we have those people who seem very nice and sincere, you know, knock on our doors, peddling their doctrine, the Watchtower Society, um, a lot of Christians think that's some kind of, you know, new phenomenon that they hold to, their views of Jesus. No, it's not. It's Arianism. The church dealt with that in the 4th century, the Nicene Creed. So the reason we don't do well with, I would say, as the church and being proactive in stopping heretical movements is because when they arise, we don't know our history, so we don't know how to counteract, and we think we've got to create something new, so we've got to spend this time creating something novel when there's a lot of foundations already before us. So I would say that it is critical because if you don't understand the language you speak as a Christian and what led to that, you're going to be in trouble. Because when you use terms like Trinity, when you use terms like justification by faith alone and Christ alone because of uh, by grace alone, and all of this, what we'd say is theological jargon, well, there's a tradition that's given us that. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So where did that come from? You know, that's why we need to know our history. The reason why we're Baptists, for example, if the only reason I'm a Baptist is because that's what Grandpa was, you know, that's not a very you know, strong position to have. Um, 
there should be some biblical reasons, I would hope, why you're a Baptist. There certainly are for me um, why I am a Baptist. So I would say, you, you know, you may not, may not be the nerd that I am and just read a lot of the stuff, but I would say, to, especially to a pastor, um, if, if I can just use a personal antidote from here, um, my, my fellow elder, when they first came here, you know, I talk a lot about history, and I don't think that was the most exciting thing, really, because it just wasn't. But, you know, as time has went on, and I think I've done a better job, I hope, of not lecturing about it, but being more pastoral with it. He made the comment a few months back, he said, you know, more and more I do realize why, why the history stuff does matter, why it is important. And, and I think that it helps equip us. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And we're not dealing with new challenges today, really. Yeah, they may be a little different, maybe a different uh, packaging, but the gift, what's inside the box, is still the same stuff that Satan peddles. So, I know it's kind of a long answer, but anyway. So, You mentioned not everybody may be a history nut or nerd like you, whatever you want to say. But history is important. Church history certainly is important, important in the local church. So, and you gave allusions to this, what are the practical benefits of studying church history for everybody in the congregation? Yeah, well, I would, I would say, first of all, when we're talking about, the, you know, theologically, as, you know, what makes us Christians? What is it that makes a person a Christian? Well, as I alluded to earlier, when you start talking about something like the Trinity with the, the Nicene Creed, how we understand that Jesus is uh, truly God, truly man, two distinct natures, but one person, a lot of that has come down to us that we just say, but it's a tradition of the faith that has passed down to us historically. And if we don't understand what led to the development of those statements like the Nicene Creed, then we're missing out really on what it means that we're Christian. It also helps to guard us against error. You know, we're contending for the faith. You know, we heard earlier in the session here, Jeff Robinson noted that the battles between orthodoxy and heresy. That's not new. It's not, that's not a 2020 phenomenon. That's what was happening in 1720. That's what was happening in 1320. That was what's happening in 120. Okay? So we've got to be equipped and know what we are up against and that we can rightly handle and divide the truth. And also, I want to be careful, we never want to make tradition history equal or greater to the Bible. We want to be very clear about that. But we need to also realize we're not the first Christian dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it's the height of arrogance, in my view, to act like it really doesn't matter what people were saying and teaching 300 years ago. Because a lot of what you believe that you don't even think about was hammered out in some very difficult situations and debates and cost people their lives. For example, I can't remember who it was that said this, but the, the issue that was the most debated and that cost the most lives in the Reformation was not justification by faith alone. It was a view on the Lord's Supper, that it was not the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation. Now, how many times do we take the Lord's Supper and we don't even give a thought that there were actually people who died holding the view that we hold? I don't even think about that. Um, and, and so that, that kind of stuff, I think knowing history gives you a greater appreciation for how the church of Jesus Christ, what our Lord said is true, the gates of hell 
shall not prevail against it. And that's what church history teaches us. It's not easy. It's a lot of messy places, a lot of flawed individuals, but the church still continues. In case someone has not caught that we are recording immediately after the Carrie Fuller conference, and, and it's actually a live recording. We're in Mississippi with Jake and Carrie and Fuller are, are important figures in church history. I'm, I'm guessing that, that they are some of Jake's favorites, but with them included, who are, who are some of your favorite figures of church history? And, and maybe flesh them out a little bit and say why. I, I, I'll say one real quick that I, I, I mean, I know of him and a little familiar with his story, but I was reading a, a book this week that had a, a chapter on Athanasius, and just just his story. Um, if anybody wants to get a real quick overview, I encourage them to pick up uh, Giving Glory to the Consubstantial Trinity by Michael Haken, and that's a long title and may, may scare you, but it's a short read, four chapters, and he has a chapter on Athanasius, and just really um, his story, how many times he was exiled from his pastorate, um, and in the um, either the first or the second one, I mean, he was in Africa, and he is exiled into what's now France. You know, we're talking about a long time. I mean, it, it wasn't like you just get in a hop in a plane and go visit. You know, it's a long. That's I could trying to imagine being in that situation, being taken away from the church that I pastor, being exiled from them, and not being able to see them because he was standing for truth. So, um, so his story is really interesting to me. So that's just throw out there quick. Um, I really, a lot of disagreements, okay, and he probably would have me killed if he were alive and we were together, but Martin Luther, um, very much a man with many warts, but I think a very fascinating figure. Um, Roland Bainton's Here I Stand, commend if anybody wants to read not just a, a good biography of Luther but a good biography in general he does a great job of really making you feel like you're walking with Luther the streets there in Germany and captures Luther's internal spiritual struggles and just the development of, of Luther from going from the man that nails the 95 theses on the door of the castle church to debate these things um, to towards the end of his life where he is. So just a really fascinating look. Um, of course, Spurgeon. Love Spurgeon. I think Spurgeon, reading Spurgeon, his biography, and there's some really good ones, Arnold Dalimore. Um, Tom Nettles is a little, not just really biographical, more of the pastoral theology, but it's very good. I think that what I enjoy about Spurgeon the most, and it would be the same about Luther, is that they were very human. We have a tendency that we can make figures in church history, um, you know, almost like they were divine beings. And, you know, if, oh, if, just, if I were this or that, you know, they were very flawed men. They were sinners. And, and Spurgeon had many struggles with anxiety, with depression. And so you've got this man who's, who pastors thousands of people. His sermons are being published weekly. They're being sent throughout all the English-speaking world. It's not just Britain, but, but Australia and America. Uh, and yet there are times where he just falls flat on his face in his study weeping because he just feels overwhelmed. 
So I, I think that when you read biographies of men, it helps. the Now, there are some that are, um, some biographies can be written where the church history figure is presented as almost being perfect. And those are not the best biographies. Best biographies really let you see that they were human beings, and it encourages you that a lot of what they struggled with, we struggle with as well. Um, I would say another good little book that is somewhat biographical, but I think it, it helps remove some of the stereotype, and that is Steve Lawson's little volume, The Expository Genius of, of John Calvin. And Lawson does a good job of showing you Calvin the, the pastor and that and the preacher. And I think there is an unfortunate caricature that's made of Calvin, of, of the cruel, cold man. And anybody who reads anything of Calvin really sees that he had a pastoral heart and cared much about his people. And Lawson does a good job in a short volume of capturing that. So those would just be a few recommendations that I would pass on. What resources would you recommend to a Christian that wants to dive into church history from a general perspective? Um, Bruce Shelley has a nice little volume that's um, from Thomas Nelson Publishing that I think is a good introduction to church history. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has written a recent church history book that's one volume that I think does a great job as well of capturing the whole. Um, If you want to go a little bit more in depth, um, this would not be where I would start if you're just trying to introduce yourself, but um, Nick Needham's four volumes, 2,000 Years of Church History, really does a good job of moving you through um, the church history in a general way, but it's specific, too, as you're walking through. So those would be some good places, I would say, to start with general church history. Well, we stand in the stream of particular Baptist Mm -hmm. history, um, in particular, not, no pun intended, but where could someone start or, or someone who is within that stream of thought, where's a place or biographies or, or just a history books that they can read to learn more about particular Baptist and some key figures in that stream of thought? Okay, so as you're going to be able to tell, because we have a lot of book recommendations on this section, that this is kind of where I, I spend a lot of time, maybe too much time. Um, if you kind of want to get a good understanding of the beginning, the beginnings of the particular Baptist movement, highly recommend Michael Haken's uh, Kiffin, Keach, and, and, and Nolly's uh, book that has just recently been republished through H&E Publishing. Really does a good job of setting the framework for the first and second generation particular Baptist the guys who wrote the first confession in 1644, the guys who wrote the 1677-1689 confession. And it's, you know, Dr. Haken's a great writer. Um, another book of his that I would recommend is entitled Ardent Love for Jesus, which goes deep then later into the late 17th and early 18th century. That includes men like Andrew Fuller and William Carey, Samuel Pierce, Um and it's a really good book that shows the importance of, of gospel-centered friendships and how that really molded those men. Um, if you want to get a little, spend a little money, 
I cannot recommend enough the five volumes of the British Particular Baptist, uh, published by the Particular Baptist Press. They're in the state of Missouri. Um, I think it is an excellent set that does a great job. So these were edited by Michael Haken and I believe it was Terry Wolver. And, you know, it's different contributors in all five volumes on different men. And what I like about that set is, yeah, everybody knows who Spurgeon is. You, You may have heard of Keach. You may have heard of Carey. You may have heard of Fuller. Maybe a couple other guys. But then after that, I mean, that's it. These volumes really go into details about a lot of pastors that are not as well known, but their stories of faithfulness are fascinating. I think the thing that's always stood out to me about the particular Baptists in those early, those first two centuries was how many of them pastored the same church, sometimes their whole ministry. Um, you know, we heard earlier about Andrew Fuller. He started pastoring in 1775. He died in 1815. So that's 40 years of pastoral ministry. He pastored two churches. And most of those men stayed at either one or two places their entire ministry. They really committed themselves to the local church. So those five, those five volumes are just a lot of gold. And now it's dangerous because each of them have for further reading sections. So yes, that will tend to make you want to go buy some more books. Uh, I will go ahead and warn you there. But it is a really good set of books to um, get a grasp. One other biography I would recommend that is harder to get, but it's Michael Haken's One Heart, One Soul. It's his biography of John Sutcliffe, but he also goes into the lives of some of the other men of that, of that era with, with the Pierce and Carrie and Fuller and does a really good job of just showing the mood of Baptist in Britain at that time and how the Lord brought revival to them. Well, Jake, we're enjoying this conversation about uh, church history, and we've enjoyed our time at the Cary Fuller Conference talking about uh, history of uh, covenant theology from the perspective of Charles Spurgeon, and uh, we had a good time listening to uh, Andrew Fuller's hermeneutic. Uh, Can you tell us more about the Cary Fuller Conference? Uh, How did it begin, and what is its purpose? Well, about three years ago, I really... um, I had a burden about seeing some kind of theological conference here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We had a, a time when um, Dr. Steve Lawson pastured in Mobile. He put on the Exposers Conference there, which was usually in, in September, I believe, so it was in the fall. And they did that for several years, and I went to the last two, actually. And um, then Dr. Lawson retired from from pastoral ministry, and so they discontinued the the conference. And, you know, I I enjoyed things like T4G, um, but that's in Louisville. That's a big conference. And just not anything really in the Gulf Coast area. And we're a smaller church. Um, I I bounced the idea of a conference to uh, another pastor at that time in the area here. They were a little bit of a larger church, and I thought maybe, you know, what would y'all think about doing something? And he just told me, he said, I don't really think it would be an interest, really, in our church for something like that. Um, So me, you know, I I can be a little, you know, I can worry a little bit at times. 
I, I just didn't know how we as a smaller church could do something like that. And I kind of started bouncing it off some of our church people. They were very receptive. So they said, you know, I think we think we can do this. So then I thought, well, what am I wanting to do this on? Okay. And at that time, I was a student at William Carey University in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And from my vantage point, I, I fear at times that Calvinism is not very experiential for a lot of guys. It is an, an academic interest. Um, the philosophy, philosophical dimension of Calvinism appeals to the mind. Certainly it does. wouldn't deny that. But there's no warming of the heart. And that concerned me. I do see also a lack of real um, commitment to the local church and preaching and theology can sometimes be something that's seen as just for the office but not for the pulpit. And I really believe that William Carey and Andrew Fuller and I would say many of those Baptists exemplified the best of what I feel is experiential Calvinism manifested in the local church that is pastoral. It changes lives, brings revival and renewal. And so I thought, okay, you know, let's call it the Carrie Fuller Conference. Um, they were two good friends when William Carey received the letter from John Ryland Jr., that Fuller had died. He'd been dead for six months by the time that Kerry was notified. Um, Kerry's first words were, I loved him. So it showed the very much that the close uh, friendship and connection, not just between those two men, but that whole group. And so I thought, what I'd like to do is we have a conference. We want to recover historic Baptist faith and practice. We're going to use these men, but others as, as, you know, models of what we're trying to do. I wanted to bring in two other pastors or, or teachers. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking to get, quote unquote, the names, okay? Um, but guys who exemplify what, what I wanted this conference to be about. And so we talked about it th through 2017, and we made our plans for February 2018, and uh, two pastors that I knew, uh, David Sullivan, who serves in Kentucky at Muldra Baptist Church, and Sean Marithu, who serves at Morning View Baptist in Montgomery, were are two pastor theologians. I love David and Sean, but I think they would both agree when I say this. They're not names, okay? Um, but they model what we're trying to do, and... Um, you know, I, I'm aware when we had the, so we did it in February 2018, the first one. I was aware, and I still am, that it is very strange that here we are in southern Mississippi in the 21st century having a conference named for two dead British dudes who have been long gone, and yet here we are. Um, we did that the first year. Uh, we had just entitled the conference that year, Holding the Rope, using that terminology about Fuller and the others holding the rope as Kerry descended down into the pit going to India and just kind of laying the foundations of, of what we were trying to do. Um, both brothers did an excellent job. 
We had about 50 that year. And I was just so encouraged by the church family saying, we're doing this again next year, right? And they were eager to let's keep doing this. So in 2019, we were blessed to get Jeff Robinson and Grant Castleberry. And we decided to do our theme on saving faith. And so I first session, I looked at William Carey and his claims of the exclusivity of Christ. You know, we sometimes think, well, that's, that's a hard doctrine in the 21st century, Jesus Christ, and that's it? Well, that's what William Carey believed, and I shared some anecdotes from Carey's journal about interacting with an English deist who, who called Carey a bigot going to India and preaching Christ and him alone. So, I mean, so we're in 1793. He's being labeled with the same stuff that we are. So what can we learn from him? Um, and then so what, what we do is I kind of do the first session. It's the shortest um, because, like I tell people, I know they're not driving here to come hear me. Um, but I like to try to lay the foundation of what we're trying to do. And then we've got four sessions after me. Two of them are an exposition of a passage that deals with our theme and then two historical theology talks. So last year, Jeff Robinson um, preached Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and did a session on Andrew Fuller and Sandemanianism, which was a uh, 18th century form of easy believism. Grant Castleberry then did Romans 5, 1 through 11 exposition and talked about the gospel-centered ministry of Spurgeon. As said, we did this year on covenant theology, and we had Jeff come back. And I guess we can say we did have a name this year, and that's Dr. Tom Nettles, who is very gracious and kind to come down here. And those brothers looked at two texts, Jeff Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Dr. Nettles looked at John 17, 1 through 10. And then Jeff looked at Andrew Fuller's hermeneutic. And we looked at then Dr. Nettles looked at uh, Spurgeon's covenant theology. I started off by looking at Southern Baptist and covenant theology, which I hope um, some people be interested in that may not be aware of, of actually just how deep uh, early Southern, the- Southern Baptist theology was not just in Calvinism, but in covenant theology. The Lord's blessed. We went from 47, year one, 82, year two, to this year, 108. Um, and just this year, we had seven states represented. So the Lord's just blessed us. You know, we're a blue-collar church, we we are we are who we are. We want we love to serve and love to host. And, and I'll, I'll say this that I feel like my part in all of this is very small. There are a lot of men and women who are behind the scenes that do a lot through the year, whether it's getting stuff to promote on social media, printing out bulletins, printing out name badges, feeding, cooking, cleaning. A lot that goes on. And and I would say all this to say, if you are a church that is smaller, I encourage you, you can do a conference. It's it's some work, but you can do it. And I think probably smaller conferences, I think like this, and, you know, are a lot more encouraging and relaxing. I love the other stuff, not saying they they have their place, but I think it becomes very, it's just a sweet time of fellowship. So thanks for letting me plug the conference. (laughs) Well, I, I agree with, with what you said there about the small conferences. They are, they are an encouragement, and I can say for both Austin and I, and I'll, I'll speak for him unapologetically, that we were both 
mutually encouraged by our by our time here and and this wasn't in the questions that we gave you okay but uh just you want to offer up some final encouragement kind of like the one you just did to the church but any other final encouragement to to pastors to christians about church history or or just anything you feel like encouraging people about well i I would say definitely I, i agree that not everybody either wants to or can read all the history that I try to read. But I do think that you are shortchanging your people if you don't have a good grasp of historical theology. We can, for example, when the Calvinism debate in the SBC was really fierce, um, one of those reasons was because there was a great ignorance and I would also say some poor teaching that totally removed the Calvinistic roots of the SBC. There's an argument to be made that from 1845 to 1925, the convention as a majority were Calvinistic in some sense. So when you maybe are in a church, and you're whether it's the doctrines of grace, whether it's confessions, whether it's covenant theology, whether it's plurality of elders, whether it's the regulative principle of worship, whether it's the ordinary means of grace, all of those subjects, history is your friend. Use it. You need to explain those things from the Bible, yes, but history is a good supplement that you can say, look, I'm not trying to, it may seem new or novel today, but it's not anything really new. It's actually recovering. And I would say, too, if you're a guy that's at a church, well, regardless of how old your church is, but especially if it's 100 years old or more, you need to go find whoever's got the original minutes and read. Learn the story of your church. And when you maybe are seeking to make some changes, use the story of your church to help bolster you. You know, every, every Baptist church, we'll just throw this out here, probably till about, let's say, 1920. Every Baptist church in America, when it was organized, did two things. It adopted a statement of faith, and it adopted a church covenant for its members. Church said, this is what we believe, and this is how we're going to live out those beliefs. Well, well, you need to know that. And I bet if you go dig in the records, you're going to find that. If your church was organized in 1870, you probably can find that original statement and covenant. So church history is our friend. It's our friend. It's our friend in helping to shepherd our people, but also to encourage us. When you read good biographies, you feel like you have done nothing for the kingdom many times, but also that you see, you know what, we're, we're, we're a part of a great throng of the saints. And so I would encourage, encourage guys and, and as pastors, you have to do a good job of showing and working because most people think that history is nothing but Names and dates. And that's part of it, but only a small part. And you have to do a good job of telling stories. Use church history as illustrations and sermons. Use that kind of stuff. And, 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 you know, I say this from experience. I've been, been encouraged to see how in our congregation, you know, more and more appreciation and love for church history. So those would be some thoughts to share to close. Well, Jake, thank you for taking the time for 
allowing us to come to your conference and allowing us to podcast with you here in your office. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. They are also now fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, which is cbtseminary.com. Org. Again, that is cbtseminary.org. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.